0: Tools. So sorry to put you through that. (laughs) It's a good video though, Jack. Well done. Um, It's good to be. I like being with you all. I like worshiping with you guys. It's good fun. It's good fun. And and I feel at home coming here, which is great, isn't it? So it's good apt name, but. Do you know, I wonder how many of us, um, when we walk into this room, realize that we are coming into the presence of God, that when we walk into this place, that God is right here, right now, in this room. You know, in Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus says, where my people gather in my name, I am there also this is a promise from God. It's an amazing promise from God. You know, God does not lie. Do you know when we find any promises in the Bible that they are yes and an amen in him? Because God does not lie. He does, it's not a man that can change his mind. He is, he, you know, what he said is really, really going to happen. So that means when we gather in his name that he is right here. Yeah right now. You know, does this not like do something to your mind, like blow your mind? You know, we're just thinking that we're coming into the presence of God. God is right here right now and we can enjoy him. We can love him. We can just be with him. It's so wonderful. So great. You know, don't get me wrong, we, you know, we do experience the presence of God as well when we're on our own, don't we? When We, we could be walking down the street, doing our bits and bobs, our jobs or whatever. And we can experience the presence of God in that time too. But I think there's something really special about when the people of God come together. And that's why I think God encourages never to give up meeting together and to come, come together and I will be there with you when, when you gather. There's something precious about the people of God coming together. Um, a few weeks ago now, I dropped my eldest son off at Bristol University. It was, it was a bit of a roller coaster ride, actually, you know, dropping off your oldest son. I'd, Probably a lot of your parents went through that, or you've been through that, and, you know, when you're, you know, you're separated, and maybe if you're the kid being separated, it's like, woohoo, and the parents are like, oh, my baby, and um, anyway, he's, you know, is there, he's having a great time, he's all independent now. Although we are still paying for him, so he's not quite that independent. But he's still, you know, he's finding his feet and he's enjoying himself. And I'm really pleased because, like, he's he's getting to know people. I'm really happy. And we catch up as well on WhatsApp. He sends me pictures. Do you know, within a couple of days of being in Bristol, he sent me a picture of some food that he'd cooked. The first time he's actually made something really, really nice. And I was thinking, wow, I didn't even know he could cook like that. What a shame he's left home. And and then he sent me pictures of, um, don't tell him any of this, by the way, because I know some of you know him. (laughs) And then he sent me pictures of, like, he'd done his washing, he was so pleased with himself, he'd done some washing, and he showed it me all hung up on his rack, and, and he's never ever used a washing machine in his life, literally, and he managed to get his washing and hanging it up, and to be honest, it actually looked like he'd grabbed all of his washing and just threw it on, so I was messaging him, you do need to straighten it a bit as well, but... So so it's nice. I like those moments, getting those messages and phone calls and chatting to him and just seeing how he's getting on. It's really nice. But I'm really looking forward to the time when all our kids are together. And we're together, we're enjoying our company together and being together and, you know, as a family, it's really, really precious when your kids come together and you're with them and, you know, it's special talking to them on the phone as well and being with them on their own. And, but there's something really special about being together. And I think that that's what it's like for God when he sees his children coming together, bringing the gifts that he's given them and seeing that they're come and sharing the gifts that God's poured out in them with one another and, and worshipping him. And, and, I, and I think that really means um, a whole lot to God. Um, you know, I think one of the best things we could ever learn about worship it's it's not about about us, but it's about pouring ourselves out to one another and to God. I think that's really really precious. We can grasp hold of what worship is all about. That it's not about what I can get, but what I can give to my brothers and sisters, or what I can give back to God. Now I want to tell you a story of total abandonment in worship. It's an absolutely beautiful story, and it's from Luke chapter seven if you want to turn to your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 7. So this story, um, it's also told in Matthew, Mark and John. So I'll probably dip in and out of, uh, of those stories as well because they tell a little bit of a different perspective, but it's the same story. So I'm going to look at Luke 7, chapter verse um, Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman, now, this woman that is talking about here, we know from the other Gospels that this woman is Mary. So, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, when I read that story, I think, oh my, you know, that abandonment of worship, I look really reserved compared to Mary. When I worship God and the way she worships God, it's so like like I'm just like just reserved. I'm like sat there like this compared to her. You know, and it's we it can be really, you know, and I think it's really good to just to look at her and think, what an example, what an example of worship that she was there. Now I wonder if many of us have this tendency to be quite reserved in our worship. You know, maybe, you know, something that's holding us back from truly expressing ourselves. Maybe it's quite strange coming into a room full of people that you don't really quite know. And, you know, we don't know how to act. You don't know how to be. And maybe it affects your worship. Maybe it affects you being you and to God and pouring your heart out to God because, because of the environment that you're in. And here is Mary. She hears that Jesus is around. And it's the same Mary who was criticised by Martha And Martha said, Jesus, can you tell her to come and help me because I'm doing all the jobs around here. And she's just sat at your feet and doing nothing. And, and then Jesus replies to her herself, but she's picked the better thing. You know, leave her alone. Let her sit at my feet and listen. You know, this is the same Mary that was criticized. It's being criticized here in this story for being wasteful and abandoning herself in worship and adoration, pouring out her heart out to Jesus. In Matthew 26 and Mark 14, where it tells this story, it says that the disciples were indignant, which means showing anger or annoyance. The disciples were really, really annoyed with her, her wastefulness. And and Judas in John 12 says, we could have given this money to the poor. We could have sold it and given it to the poor. And and here she is being really wasteful. And then you've got the Pharisees and the other teachers that are there saying, do you not know who she is, this woman? She's this sinful woman and she's coming and she's touching you. And they even start criticizing Jesus saying, do you not know who this woman who's touching you is? I thought you were a prophet and here she is worshiping jesus despite all the voices despite the crowd the room that she's in she's there pouring out her heart to god and probably pouring out one of the most expensive treasured possessions that her family owns the alabaster jar of perfume So here she is. She's crying. She cries so much. It's enough to wet Jesus' feet. Can you imagine the tears? Can you imagine enough enough tears to wet someone's feet? And then she wipes away her tears with her hair. I don't know if Mary knew that, that she was going to be criticized this much. But all I know is that because of her great love for Jesus, her eyes were totally fixed on him everyone else around her they were they were looking at her being a woman and and all you know who is this woman or she's a sinful woman and and all of that and then there's you know there's people looking at the perfume this expensive perfume how wasteful this is and 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 then there's those looking at Jesus saying how could he even let her touch him and then there's Mary just there pouring out her heart eyes totally fixed on the love of Jesus and in Matthew and Mark um, where the story is also told it talks about Simon and it calls him Simon the leper so Simon is called Simon the leper in the other gospels um, which is really interesting, really, because he's there. It's his house that they throw in this party. So they've all gone to Simon the leper's house to have this feast, and, and it's his house that um, you know, Jesus is there, that Mary comes. And um, and what's really interesting is that um, that Simon would not have leprosy at that moment in time because people wouldn't go to his house to feast with him, and the teachers and the, the Pharisees certainly wouldn't be in his house because if he had leprosy it would actually be an outcast. He wouldn't be allowed to to be with people. So people certainly wouldn't be feasting at his house. So the only explanation that people will be at his house is if he was healed. Now leprosy has only been curable in the last 200 years. So the only way that he would be having all these people feasting at his house and, and all the rest of it was if Jesus had healed him from leprosy. So here is, G- is Simon, completely, totally healed from leprosy, restored back into the community, is now having people around his house and is feasting with them. And he doesn't manage to show the basic, simple thankfulness and gratefulness to Jesus and it's really interesting. You see the contrast between Mary and Simon. You know, Mary just pouring out her heart and her life. And Simon just seems to be standoffish and disinterested and not showing the, the basic hospitality. Jesus says to Simon, I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not even greet me with a kiss Yet Mary hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you did not put oil on my head. Yet Mary has poured expensive perfume on my head. Simon certainly wasn't expressing any thankfulness and gratefulness for what Jesus had done for him. You know, there are references in the um from the Old Testament of, you know, when people, people walked around in sandals and so if you went to someone's house or tent or anything like that, you would be handed some water to wash your feet because it would make you feel comfortable as well as clean. And um Um, And and if if you went to a well-off house, a rich person's house, they would get their slaves to come and wash your feet. And it was actually the lowest position to be given to wash someone's feet. Nobody wanted that job. Um, So it would would be given to the slaves to do, which is really interesting when you think about one of Jesus' final acts of love towards his disciples but just before he died it was when he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. It was probably, it was, it, at that time, it was the lowliest job that anyone would, could ever do. And because of Jesus' love for people, he wanted to show them how to love other people. And it's an amazing story. And and Simon did not offer Jesus any water just to wash his feet. And it was a basic thing that that they would do in those times, offering people some some water. Um, And here we have Simon again, um, healed of leprosy and back in society. and, And Jesus saying, you didn't even give me oil for my head. Which is kind of like a strange thing to to say, really, unless you understand in the Bible times, it was actually what people did when they were sitting down to feast together. So if people would come together, they would sit down, they would feast together, and oil would be given to them to put on, so that they, it was just part of feasting, it was just a normal act and and hospitality, and um, which is um, interesting because it helps us to understand why Jesus would say, when you're fasting, put oil on your head because it would be a sign of saying it's between me and God and no one else would know that I'm fasting because I'm putting oil on my head. So oil on your head was like a sign of feasting. So Simon was being rude and inhospitable and here is Mary crying, pouring out her thankfulness to Jesus and Simon in hospitality and ungratefulness towards Jesus and that just gives us that stark contrast between Mary and Simon. when I was thinking about this story and um, just praying and just waiting on God I was just really struck in my heart and and I just really felt um, this sense of just saying to God God please don't ever let me be like Simon God Please forgive me for times when I have been like Simon, when I've taken you for granted, when I've not appreciated you, when I've not shown you um, gratefulness and thankfulness, all the things that you've done in my life, all the things that you've given me, all the provision, all the kindness and all the love, God. Please, God, don't ever let me be like that, God. You know what is it like what's that you know what is it like when you worship God what is it like when you pour out your heart to God are you like Simon trying to look cool and trying to look like like people think that there's something weird about you or strange about you are you lost in an abandonment of worship like Mary and this is a real challenge it's a challenge for me too when I read that story I think God I don't worship like that and I want to worship like that I want to show you God how much you mean to me i want to show you god how much i love you there come so many thoughts and attitudes that get in our way can't they of just worshiping god like mary did no, we can think about things that are going on in our minds and the things that, are, um, that we're remembering, maybe our past week or maybe we're thinking about the week ahead of us. Maybe we, we've got things going on in our hearts and or maybe some struggles and there's all these things that are going on that, that can just, just play on us, that's stopping us from abandoning ourselves and worship to God. Maybe it's because it's not even your favourite worship leader. James, you were good tonight, by the way. <laughs> Doesn't count for you. So, you know, sometimes we do, we like that, aren't we? If it's not the right song, if it's not our favorite worship leader, if it's not quite sound as good, we can be put off worship, really. We can be thinking, oh, when is this going to be ending? You know, we stood there. Or we could be thinking, okay, it's not great, but I'm here to worship God. You know, God says, when people gather in my name, I am there. And right now, in this moment, I know God is here and I want to worship him. I want to love him. I don't care what it sounds like. I want him to know that I'm here for him, loving him and worshipping him. Now, let's not come together with a mindset of, It's all about me and, you know, if it doesn't sound good, then I'm not interested. But but let's be those that come with that worshipping heart and attitude of saying, this is my moment. I can just be in the presence of God, expressing to him my love. It's not about what I look like. You know, I can easily put on a false look to whatever, to so I even look really holy and spiritual, or maybe even look cool and collective, or it's not even about that. It's about, It's about coming before God and showing him how much we love him, showing God how much we are grateful for what he's done for us. It's about how much he has loved us and given us absolutely everything so that we could live a fulfilled um, whole life. You know, um, David was criticized the way he he worshipped God. Do you remember the story? I don't know if you know the story, but you can, and you can read about the story in, in 2 Samuel. David was worshipping God with all of his might, and um, he was criticised by his wife. And he, she said to him that you, you've embarrassed yourself, you looked undignified, and what do you think you're doing? And David says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be undignified before the Lord. I will be even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Do you know what? I think Mary was probably feeling really undignified, really humiliated in that moment in time. Now we can challenge ourselves. What kind of worship do we give to God? Challenge yourself. Think about it. You know, don't Gets yourself stuck in a rut thinking what you're doing is okay, and you know, and it may be okay, and that's okay, and there's nothing wrong with the way you worship. But it's really good to challenge ourselves what is going on in our hearts, what is going on in our minds, and push ourselves to be crazy and wacky before God. Now, interestingly, in Acts 20, verse 35, it says that it's more blessed to give than to receive, and it is true that we are more fulfilled when we give than when we receive. And I bet that Mary went away more fulfilled, more whole, more secure, feeling so loved, feeling amazing in God's presence than anyone else in that room. I just want to talk about the perfume for a minute. So the kind of perfume that... um, that Mary used was the kind of perfume that you would use to anoint a dead body. After a few days, the body would start to smell. So they would go in and um, they'd put on some of this perfume and they'd be really careful with it. just dab on a little bit. You don't want to waste it. It's very expensive. And so um, it's really, really powerful stuff. And so when Mary was using this, everybody would have known in that room That Mary was using perfume that you would put anoint a dead body with. Now, this perfume was worth about a year's salary. So, I looked up the price of what it would cost today for an expensive perfume. Are you interested in how much it would cost for an expensive perfume? Good, right answer. (laughs) So, top of the list is a DKNT Golden Delicious. This is on the market for $1 million. Now, I kept it at dollars because it's a nice round number, but $1 million for a bottle of perfume. So, the exorbitant price is partly to do with the fact that the bottle has got diamonds on, which I find a bit confusing. Because when you've used all the perfume, what are you supposed to do with the bottle? I don't know. got diamonds in it. But anyway... So then, um, so if you don't want to push the boat out for a million dollars, um, spending a million dollars on a perfume, you could get the Clive Christian Number no. 1 Imperial Majesty perfume, costing a bargain £9,733 per ounce. Any offers? <laughs> so imagine a year's salary... On some perfume imagine i don 't know what your salary looks like to you. Imagine your year salary, your annual income, whatever that is, and you owned a bottle of perfume to that value. you had it in your family, and it was very precious and you know and Mary probably used this on Lazarus because. Because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So while he was dead, um, Mary Pope would have gone into Lazarus and, you know, and used a little, just dabbed a little bit on Lazarus like this and carefully put the lid back on. Um, and because it was worth about a year's wages, you wouldn't just go splashing it about. But when we read this story in Mark 14, it says that she broke the alabaster jar which is a real sign of extravagant worship. She had no intention of ever using this perfume again. She had no intention of using it somewhere else or for anyone else. She poured it all out on Jesus. That is extravagant worship Immediately, the strong, exotic smell would have filled everyone's nostrils in the room. Everyone would have turned and all their eyes would have been fixed on Mary, wondering, what is this crazy, wacky woman doing? Does she not know what kind of perfume it is? And there she is, she's wasting it all. This really expensive perfume, she's gone crazy. And there she is, untying her hair, gently wiping Jesus' feet and you know, and I was thinking about how, you know, when Mary was doing this, I was thinking, you know, and Jesus says in one of the other Gospels about this, that, that he, she was preparing my body for, um, for burial. And um, she wouldn't have known that. But I wonder if she prophetically knew that because of the time she would sit at his feet just listening to him. And loving him, and that prophetically she just wanted to express her love and gratitude towards him. You know, I wonder if Mary could hear them saying, What is she doing? What a waste. What a crazy woman. But she was totally, completely undone, giving everything to Jesus. You know, where is your passion? What are you holding on to? What is your alabaster jar? What is the moment of hesitation for you when you, you give out to God. And I want to t- talk a, a little bit about giving to God in our finances. We don't really like to talk about money. We don't really like to talk about, about giving as well and in our finances because we feel a little bit awkward about it, especially when you, you're British and you don't really want to talk about money. You know, don't ask me how much I earn. Don't ask me what I spend it on. Just don't ask. It's private. It's between me and me. So, But um, how we give of our finances reveals something of the attitude of our heart. And I'm not talking about the quantity. I'm talking about how we decide and how we give to God actually reveals something of our heart. And when there is hesitation of giving of our finances, maybe it's that thought of, you know, when you're going through your budgets, oh, I could do this, I could do that, if I didn't give this much. And, you know, and there's all these ideas and thoughts are going on, and yet, and yet when we give to God, it's an overflow of our worship and our gratitude to God. There's something really precious about giving to God of our finances, and it expresses something of, of of how much we trust God you know when we um, give to God it's really important that we decide what we are going to give to God in our hearts and give it cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver and we know that because that's what the Bible says isn't it that God loves a cheerful giver and it's really hard because we work really hard don't we for our money and we we maybe you're a student, your parents just give it to you, I don't know. But um, we work really hard for our money, don't we? And it's, you know, we spend our money on things that we enjoy or things that are are meaningful to us that that we think are important. Um, You know, and so when we give to God of our money, it can feel like a sacrifice, can't it? And, And the thing is, it is a bit of a sacrifice, And if it didn't feel like a sacrifice, then it wouldn't be a sacrifice. And yet we're supposed to give sacrificially. And so if we're feeling like, oh, this is a bit of a sacrifice, but that's okay because we can say, I'm giving this to God. Because of his love for me, because of what he's done for me, because I trust him, because I'm dependent on him. I don't need, I know God is going to meet my needs. I know that God is going to be there for me. I know that, they, that God is not going to let me go without. And me giving God of my 10% and is like, it's me saying to God, God, I trust you. I want to give back to you everything that, that you that belongs to you. And then when I give of my offerings, I'm like saying to God, God, I don't want to just give you my tithe. I want to give you more than my tithe. I want to give you more than 10% because you are a generous God and I want to be a generous worshiper. And so I give you more than what I can give. So we can be like Mary and settle in our hearts right now that whatever we give to God is never, ever a waste. No matter how generous, no matter how wild, no matter how crazy, it is never a waste. Um, Jesus says to all the criticism and all the people that were putting Mary down, and, and we can see it in the other Gospels, he says this to her, he says, leave her alone because what she is doing is a beautiful thing. Jesus is defending Mary doing something really wild and crazy and wacky when everyone else is looking at her and criticising her and, and telling her that she, what she's doing is wrong and that she's rubbish and she's not worthy. Why is she here even? And Jesus says, leave her alone because what she is doing is a beautiful thing. You know, when everyone seems to um, be criticising Mary and Jesus like, leave her alone and You know, why bother her? And he also says this in Matthew 26, verse 13. He says, Truly I tell you that wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This story of her giving of herself in an abandonment, extravagant act of worship. Is now part of the gospel message. It will never, ever be forgotten. That what she has done is not a waste, but is a beautiful thing. Isn't that beautiful to think that? That when she's there pouring out her heart to Jesus, that he, he looks upon her and he says, I will never, ever forget what you have done. This will be remembered forever. In fact, whenever the gospel message is told, this story will also be told because it's part of the gospel message. Jesus did something, Mary did something wild and crazy that will never, ever be forgotten, will always be remembered by Jesus. What would be your wild and crazy? What would be your abandonment of worship? What would it look like? What thing is so costly to you that you could break at the feet of Jesus to show him your heart is totally for him? Could it be, and I've made a list here of some things it could be, could it be pride? Are you holding on to something because you don't want to show any vulnerability? Could it be addiction? Something has gotten hold of you that that you have it in your mind, that you need it. Maybe it's getting in the way of holiness or living right with God. Maybe it's withholding finances. Maybe it's withholding another part of your life from Jesus. This is me. It's nothing to do with you, God. Lay it off. Could it be a relationship that you are in that's got a higher priority than Jesus, your relationship with Jesus? Maybe your relationship and being accepted by others is more important to you than living right with God. Maybe it's something else. But when we recognize that the presence of God is is so wonderful, so amazing, and so adorable, that when we can come into a place like this and know that God is here and that we can pour out our hearts and worship him, when we know that we can even worship him with love and adoration in our own rooms at home or walking down the street or doing whatever we're doing, when we know that we can be in the presence of God and just worship him with abandonment of worship, extravagant with our worship, just remember this, it is never, ever a waste, and that he will always remember whatever you pour out on him. Okay, amen.